All right. Well, good morning, church family. And for those of you online, good morning as well. Uh, I'd invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 18. Uh, We'll be spending time in this chapter this morning. Um, If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you, or you're certainly welcome to follow along on your handheld device or the screen behind me. This morning, Acts 18, we're going to look at Paul's entrance into the city of Corinth and to be encouraged by what we find there. So please pray with me before we get into the message. Father God, thank you for your word, for your Holy Spirit that enlightens us to your truth, that can encourage us in times of need. I pray, God, that as we take a few moments this morning and look into your word, that, God, we would be encouraged uh, as we gain insight into the life of Priscilla and Aquila, as well as how you met the Apostle Paul and encouraged him in a time of need. So we ask you to be with us now, in Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes the difference between success and failure in a person's life is the encouragement that they receive by others. You may agree with that. I want to say that again. Sometimes the difference between the success and failure in a person's life is determined by the encouragement that they receive from others. If we be honest with ourselves and honest with one another, who here doesn't want or doesn't need to be encouraged once in a while? Whether it be uh, at home, as a parent, in your workplace, but certainly in our life as a Christian, in living the Christian life, and in being on mission for God, we all need to be encouraged. Today, we're going to look at the power of encouragement, and that's what I titled the message as we consider the life of Paul and we're introduced to a couple individuals, Priscilla and Aquila here in Acts 18. So the word I want you to hold on to this morning is really the word encouragement, By the time we get to Acts 18, uh, the Apostle Paul has been through a long list of challenges, trials, and you could even say tribulations. Uh, He's on his second missionary journey. You may recall he just left Athens and he's now in the city of Corinth. And as he has entered into this city, what he has experienced or does experience only adds to his afflictions. And as a result of this, he is discouraged, he's fearful, and he needs to be lifted up and encouraged to press on in the Christian life, but also in the mission that God's called him to. God meets him right where he's at, and in so many unique and special ways. We see that God met him in a time of need of a friend, and he gave Paul a couple friends. In a time where Paul uh, was maybe questioning his work and ministry, God reassures him, I'm going to bless your work. He reassures him that you're going to be successful on the mission of God. And then God gives Paul some promises to cling to as he lives, 
the Christian life. And we're going to reflect on some of those promises today and see how they uh, directly uh, relate to our own lives as believers. So we pick up in Acts 18, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 11 so you can follow along with me. Then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all the Jews from Rome. Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers just as he was. Each Sabbath, Paul, uh, each Sabbath found Paul at the synagogue trying to convince the Jews and Greeks alike. And after Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul spent all his time preaching the word. He testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed and insulted him, Paul shook the dust from his clothes and said, Your blood is upon your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go and preach to the Gentiles. Then he left and went to the home of Titius Justus, a Gentile who worshipped God and lived next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, and everyone in his household believed the Lord. Many others in Corinth also heard Paul, became believers, and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, Don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack and harm you. For many people in this city belong to me. So Paul stayed there for the next year and a half, teaching the word of God. Paul's at a place in his ministry where he was experiencing the many challenges of being on mission for Jesus. You know, living the Christian life can bring many challenges and times of discouragement for God's people. If you've been a Christian long enough, you can know full well that seasons of life and ministry and the Christian life can be filled with ups and downs, times of encouragement and times of discouragement. But God, in Paul's season of discouragement, met him, provided for him what he needed in two friends, Priscilla and Aquila, encouragement from others. God also encouraged Paul through a vision where Jesus showed up and he spoke some words to Paul of promise that became fuel to his soul and an aid to help him press forward in bringing Jesus to a difficult group of people in a difficult context in a culture that was totally new to Paul. After proclaiming the gospel in, as I said, the city of Athens, which if I remind you was a city of about 10,000 people with roughly 30,000 idols, a city of great intellects where, where, where Paul was able to make the argument uh, with the intellects of the community, those at the Areopagus. He was met with opposition and he left town. Some could argue that Paul's ministry in Athens was an evangelistic failure 
For many rejected the message, some considered it, while very few actually believed. As a result of Paul's time in Athens, he never did plant a church, and from there he moved on to the city of Corinth. As he continued westward and bringing the good news about Jesus Christ to those he encountered, he steps foot into the most immoral city known as Corinth, where the people, the Corinthian people were, were, were meeting him as a, a time and a space and a place where uh, everything immoral before him just, I imagine, rattled him both on the inside and out. Corinth was a flourishing center of political power, of commerce. It moved goods and services north and south, east and west, but it was also a city of sexual immorality. The population estimated about 750,000 people. It was a city that provided not only for Paul, but for all people, anything and everything that could bring pleasure to your life. And honestly, I think that Paul was perplexed by this as there was a countercultural reality that he faced with the life that he was living and the life that the Corinthian people were promoting. Morally, Corinth was known for its sexual promiscuity. That city was much like we would think of our own city in the U.S. that, that is labeled as a sexually immoral place, the place called Las Vegas. If you've ever been to Las Vegas, you know exactly what I'm talking about. In fact, its nickname is even Sin City, where every immoral act that you would desire on earth could be found to be done even there. Yet it was in Corinth that the saying, to live like a Corinthian, came to mean to live a very immoral life. And Much like that city, our own city in America, Las Vegas, has its own sayings. They're common to all of us that demonstrate the immorality that can be found there. One of the most popular sayings, and you know it so well as I do, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. If we would break that down, what does it actually mean? It means everything about Vegas is an introduction to immoral living. Now, don't get me wrong. There are other things you can do in Las Vegas than participate in the sin that the city has to offer. I get that. But so that we make the connection to where Paul was, I have no doubt that the ministry of the gospel in this community was very challenging. And I have no doubt that for Paul to live a godly life and for any Christian to live a godly life in the midst of this political power and commerce center that was overwhelmed with every immoral option under the sun, it was hard to live a godly life. The temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love, was at the city center. Nightlife was interesting. 
Thousands of female slave prostitutes would would come out at night roaming the city streets, prostituting themselves as they looked for worshipers who could worship their gods through acts of sexual immorality. As I mentioned, Paul moved from the intellectual center of the West to the immoral capital of the world. And he found himself, as it tells us in other parts of the scripture, in a state of fear and trepidation, in a state of needing encouragement to press on. I think he was bewildered as how in the world he is supposed to bring the message of good news to this people that overwhelmed him by the immorality that he was witnessing all around him. I think for many of us, we could feel this way in our own society today. Listen to Paul's own words that he he describes of himself when he enters into this city. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verses 1 to 3, let me give you a little frame of reference here. Paul lived in Corinth and then from there went to Ephesus. And at the end of his time in Ephesus, he writes a letter to the church in Corinth And this letter is what we know as 1 Corinthians. And this is what Paul says of how he entered into the Corinthian city. When I came to you, brothers, did not come preaching to you the testimony, did I not come preaching to you the testimony of God? I didn't do it with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. So what caused all of Paul's fear and what caused his weakness? What what, what caused his trembling? We don't know it actually doesn't tell us, so we get to speculate. And I just want to sit here for a moment and speculate with you. Is it possible that by the time we're at this stage of the second missionary journey, the Apostle Paul had been tried to be silenced enough, rejected enough, beat enough, imprisoned enough, rejected enough, that he was ready to throw in the towel on the preaching of the gospel because he was just flat out done. It doesn't tell us why he was fearful, why he wanted to be silent, why he was full of trepidation. Maybe in his weariness of entering into this immoral city, he was overcome by temptation. We don't know. It doesn't tell us. I'm only speculating. Maybe he was tempted to to, to abandon the gospel and the mission because it was so hard to live a godly life and and, and to bring the goodness of God to people. Maybe he was tempted to, to throw it all away for but a moment to take advantage of all the pleasure that was before him. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a place where you've been so tempted to abandon Jesus because what is before you will bring instant and self-gratification? 
Have you ever said no to Jesus and yes to that temptation and found that within your own life, you realize that though it met you where you would for but a moment, the pain and the agony that came after that, the guilt and the remorse was more to bear than what you were experiencing before. See, whenever we're faced with temptation, God's promise to us is that he will provide a way out. I would say these are two possibilities for why Paul was weary, why Paul was ready to give up preaching, why Paul was in need of encouragement. I just offer them to you as possibilities. But as Paul entered this culture of pride and idolatry, sexual immorality, his message was simple and his message was clear. And this was his message. The hole that you're trying to fill in your life by everything that the world has to offer, you can fill it and fill it and fill it only for it to become empty again. For the only thing that will fill the hole in your life that you and I are trying to fill is the person of Jesus Christ and Jesus only. When we fill holes in our life through drugs and alcohol, through pornography or other sins of this world, you name it, whatever it is, what we're doing is we're choosing a substitute that we hope will fill the gap or the hole that we're trying to fill. But the simplicity of Paul's message is this. There's only one substitute, and his name is Jesus Christ. And the reason he can fill the hole in your life is because the work he accomplished on the cross, that was a substitutionary work. So that when we choose Christ, we choose the right substitute to each and every one of our problems. His message was Jesus only. Now, I want to take a moment to just highlight two points as it relates to this passage. The bookends of Acts 18, 1 through 11. So, we're going to look at verses 1 through 3 and then again 9 through 11. But the first point I want to draw your attention to this morning is the power of giving encouragement. Remember, this message is really all about encouragement. The encouragement we receive from others and the encouragement we give to others. But here we're introduced to the friends of the Apostle Paul Beginning in verse 1, I'll read through 3 just to remind you what it says. Then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife, Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all the Jews from Rome. For Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers just as he was. 
This is the first time we're introduced to Aquila and Priscilla, and I want to give you a little background on their life to just kind of set the context for how we will be able to evaluate their life and the encouragement that they brought to others and then apply it to our own lives. Aquila and Priscilla were uh, Jews who became Christians, and we don't know when. They may have became Christians in Rome, but they also may have become Christians in Corinth under the leadership of the Apostle Paul. It doesn't tell us we don't know. All we know is that God brought them together and that eventually and essentially Priscilla and Aquila were Jews who are now Christians. They were tent makers, so we know their occupation. This is the only place in Scripture it tells us what Paul's occupation was in life, and that was a tent maker. We see the generosity and the hospitality of Priscilla and Aquila coming to life as they invite Paul into their lives to live with him, and they employed him. And as a result of this, they were able to establish themselves in the city. This is the first time that Paul has established himself in a city in a long time. And the text tells us he stays here for a year and a half. Priscilla and Aquila were not only known for their hospitality, but for being people who are encouraging to others. They are people who practice the the, the ministry of presence. And as we consider their lives this morning, I just want to take a few minutes and reflect on how they can be an example to us. While the Apostle Paul is this like spiritual champion that we all want to be like, but maybe feel like we can never become, Priscilla and Aquila are the two people that are like the commoners that we can see as an example of someone we can actually live like. Now, interesting enough, when we are introduced to them, Luke, who's writing this, introduces us to this couple as Aquila and Priscilla. Paul mentions them six times in Scripture, and four of the six, he actually mentions Priscilla first and then Aquila. I only say this to encourage you ladies out there that this was not common, and this was counterculture. And what I think we can gain from this is that Priscilla was an influential woman, not only inside the church, but to those outside the church as an influencer who brought people to God and helped people grow up in Christ. So be encouraged by that. It's interesting because the friendship that they brought to the Apostle Paul is one where Paul says about them things like, these are people who are co-laborers in the mission of God and in ministry of Jesus Christ. These people have put their neck out for me. They have risked their lives for me. They were people who used their great wealth in, in, in a very generous way by providing for the means of others. As it relates to practicing hospitality, they welcome people into their home. Not only did they welcome Paul, but in the city of Corinth, and also in the city of Ephesus, when those churches were planted, both of them began in their home. Now, let me remind you, hospitality, what what that really means is it's entertaining strangers. It's welcoming people in and then caring for them or or, uh, doing life with them. Here we have a couple who not only uh, demonstrated a great deal of hospitality, but become an example for us for how to practice hospitality. I guess my question to you is this morning, how are you doing 
in being a hospitable person? Who are you inviting into your world these days? Who are you opening your home to? Who are you allowing your life to be integrated with? I just want to point out an observation that I think I've made, but we we share as a society today that is post-COVID as it relates to hospitality. As it relates to hospitality, and specifically in the church, we've become a people who either practice this poorly or have forgotten the value of it. We no longer practice hospitality for many reasons, maybe one of them being we're overcommitted. We have too much going on in our life. I don't have time to invite others into my home or to go into the home of others. I know, Pastor, you guys do a lot at church and you, you want us to, to, to come to be together as a faith family, but you know, when it works, I will, but when it doesn't, I won't, but I'm not going to make a commitment to it. I'm committed to other things. As a society, we have chosen intentional isolation over being people who are willing to come together. Intentional isolation means that I'm going to only do life with those in my inner circle. I'm not going to get uncomfortable with people I don't know. One of the things that I've really enjoyed, not me personally, but I think we say this generally, one of the things I've really enjoyed is how small my world got since COVID. I think that's too bad. We're addicted to comfort. Some of us would rather watch church on TV at home in our jammies and coffee than we would actually come to church, engage, and be around other people. We've become more selfish than we have selfless. A lot of times, we're only willing to do something or to give of ourselves when it's absolutely needed and no one else will do it. Maybe that's pride. Maybe that's recognition. Maybe that's laziness. Maybe I'm not sure why we do that. But may I remind you that if you're asked to do something, it's because there's a legitimate need. So please consider filling that need. I want to encourage you to look for ways to actually practice hospitality. The only way we can be encouraged to be different than who we've become over the past several years is when we finally start acting and doing things differently. When we begin to see the need and the value to open our homes to our neighbors, to maybe open our homes to people in the church, to get to know them, to have meals together once again to come together as a community so that we can get to know one another. 
The ministry of presence is a great way to practice hospitality. And I think that uh, Priscilla and Aquila did this quite well as they invited Paul into their home and encouraged him. Gwen and I, this past week, my wife and I had the opportunity to to sit with somebody who was uh, in a relationship that is now broken and to just care for them and to hear them. The ministry of presence that we provided for this individual not only was a blessing to her, but it was a blessing to us. But it required that we be intentional about it and that we saw the value and the importance of it as being greater than whatever else we had on our schedule. Priscilla and Aquila were two individuals who loved to build up the church and and to encourage others in the Lord and to, to share the goodness of God. And after all, they were mentored by the Apostle Paul. So the wealth of just truth that they had, they knew that they couldn't keep to themselves. They had to share it with others. And I love the example they are. I want to point you forward now to Acts 18, verse 24. They they meet with Apollos to encourage him, a young preacher in the Lord. Listen to this. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well, had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. He had been taught the way of the Lord, and he taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. However, he knew only of John's baptism. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately. It's interesting because here, Luke puts Priscilla in front of Aquila and then says that they went to encourage Apollos because they seen in him something significant and they wanted to give him more accuracy so that he could boldly proclaim the truth of Jesus to others. And I wonder if the reason Priscilla is first is because as a husband and wife, they're like this great team, right? They were sitting there listening and she went one of these whack and was like, hey, buddy, wake up. Do you hear this guy? He's awesome, but he needs to get straightened out. I think we can go encourage him. Come on. I think we need to encourage him. I don't know if this went. This is what I hear when I read this, right? But the bottom line is as a team, They went to Apollos and they gave him more accurate information about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit and the ministry of it, about the resurrection of Christ and the salvation that can be found in Jesus only. And this is the result of that. Verse 27, Apollos had been thinking about going to Achaia and the brothers and sisters in Ephesus encouraged him to go. They wrote to the believers asking them to welcome him. When he arrived there, he proved to be of great benefit to those who by God's grace had believed. He refuted the Jews with powerful arguments in public debate. Using the scriptures, he explained to them that Jesus was the Messiah. I think the ministry that Priscilla and Aquila had in Apollos' life was one of helping him succeed in ministry and in the Christian life. Let me ask you this question. Who in your life are you walking alongside to help succeed in the Christian life and in the ministry and mission of the gospel? 
Who are you encouraging to, to, to see God and to know God rightly so that they can rightly proclaim God? Who is building into you so that you can rightly represent Christ in this world? We must ask that question. When it comes to encouragement, I'm going to give you just a few quick, simple things that we can do that will help us to be encouraging people to others around us. This is the first one. It's a big one. Ready? Just say thank you. Thank you goes a long way. You know, if you were here Christmas weekend and you served as a volunteer on our hospitality team, the people who are the meters and greeters and pointers and, and welcomers, there's a host of you. Whatever your role was that weekend, I want to say thank you. You made a difference in people's lives as we welcomed the world into our church to celebrate Jesus. Thank you for being the gift you were to others. Sometimes we can just make a phone call. I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. Is there anything that you need prayer for? How about a text message? How goes your walk these days with the Lord? How can I be praying for you? The ministry of sitting with someone in need. Recently, we've had a few deaths in the church family. And I know that for those who are able to take time with grieving families to just sit with them, to care for them and to hear their story and to love on them, it's invaluable and it's encouraging. How about hosting someone in your home? Maybe today you'll be encouraged to be like Priscilla and Aquila and, and recognize that the resources that God has given you, if you have a home to open up, that they're not just for you. They're for you to share with others. And so you should. How many of you actually are intentional about investing in people so that they can succeed in life? If you don't have that person in your life, consider it. I want you to hear this. The essence of the gospel, the essence of the gospel is doing for others what they cannot do for themselves. Jesus did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. In return, he wants us to do for others what they can't do for themselves. When we become an encourager in people's lives, I want to remind you and reassure you and say it over and over again, we are living the gospel of grace out loud. That's how we put the gospel into life. When we love people, encourage people, and extend grace to people. Proverbs 16.24 says, Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. Isn't that good? When's the last time you used kind words to build somebody up? I hope it was recently. If it was, thank you. If you haven't been that person lately, consider being that. It'll make all the difference in the world. The second point we're just going to touch briefly on, the power of receiving encouragement. There's a power in giving encouragement, but now the power of receiving encouragement. I want us to consider for a moment just some promises of God that he gave to Paul in a time of need that 
really extend to us. This is what the Lord said to Paul. Don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack or harm you. For many people in this city belong to me. Remember, Paul was at the break point of his life and ministry. I believe he was ready to throw in the towel. I think he was going to be done preaching, maybe not indefinitely, but at least for a season. And God stepped in and said, nope, it's not time to be silent. It's time to speak up. It's time to go out. And it's time to make me known because there's people in this community who need me. The first promise that I believe God gave to um, Paul was that of power. In verse 10, he says, I'm with you. I am with you. In Acts 1.8, it tells us, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Keep in mind that the reality of the Apostle Paul's life and ministry was that he couldn't do any of it without the power of the Holy Spirit that was present in him. And so as a result of the power that was in him, he had a life-sustaining ministry before him, and so do we. The second is the promise of God's presence. In the same statement, I am with you. In Matthew 28, 18 to 20, God prepares us for mission and he gives us the commission. And this is what he says. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. As long as you're on earth and the Spirit is in you, God is with you, not only giving you power, but his presence will help you accomplish his purpose. The third thing is protection. Specifically for Paul, this is what God says, no one will attack you and no one will harm you. This promise was for a short season. The time he was in Corinth, God gave him a reprieve from just the onslaught that was coming. And in that moment, Paul was encouraged to boldly go out and then to talk to people about Jesus because he knew he had God's protection. Now, while we might not be able to apply this specifically to our life in terms of for a season, the reality is God will protect us as we go in the power and presence of the Spirit and make Jesus known to people around us. In Romans 8, 28, it says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. So we have confidence to go out that God's protection will be with us and whatever happens to us can still bring glory to the Almighty God. The difference in some of our lives is for whose glory we are living, the glory of self or the glory of God. And lastly, Paul went out with assurance. 
for many people in this city belong to me. Why did God not want him to be quiet and want him to speak? Because there were people in the city that belonged to God that didn't even know they belonged to God. And how in the world are they going to know they belong to God? Because God is sending Paul to them to speak the gospel out loud. And may I remind you, there are people in our city who belong to God and don't know they belong to God. And how are they going to know about God? Through you. God is sending you out and he's sending me out to be the spokesperson to tell people about Jesus. And if we don't, they won't know. So be encouraged by that. There are people in our city who still need Jesus. And until the Lord returns, there are people in this world that God wants us to reach. But can I encourage you with this one thing? If your life doesn't demonstrate the reality that knowing Jesus makes a difference or has changed your life, then the message you bring to people will likely fall on deaf ears. If the Jesus you proclaim hasn't changed your life, why would anybody believe that he would change theirs? Isn't that a great checkpoint in our own life? Psalm 118, verse 6. The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Nobody can stop the gospel through you when God is with you. We have been called to be on mission for Jesus. And in the Christian life, we're to boldly proclaim Christ to all. Let's circle back to the beginning and wrap it up. Sometimes the difference between the success and failure of a person's life is the encouragement that they receive. Here's our action point. God may be tugging on your heart to step up your game to be an encourager to others. God may be meeting you here through the Holy Spirit to encourage you to live into the promises of God. When you're discouraged, open the book and turn on the light and cling to the promise of God. But as we go from this place, when we live the gospel of grace, one of the realities that we get to do is not only bring Jesus to people through the message we proclaim, but we get to be Jesus to people through the life that we live as we encourage one another to the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day that you've given us, for the encouragement we find in your word and through one another. May your spirit strengthen us and help us to be a witness in this world for you in Christ's name. Amen.